One recent evening, Three Lives and Company manager Troy Chatterton and book buyer Miriam Chotner Gardner let me in after hours to this charming bookstore that I first discovered in the 1980s. I felt privileged all over again and got to ask what makes the store so magical. It feels to me right now we're here after hours and it feels a little sort of risque and exciting, kind of like from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler to be in a bookstore at night and have it to yourself is like a dream. It's like a dreamy, beautiful jewel box of a place. I love being here. So what do you think it is about small bookshops that makes you just want to go inside? Small spaces. What do you think, either of you? I mean, I think small spaces, especially bookstores, especially our bookstore, which has covered floor to ceiling in books, wooden shelves. They're cozy, they're inviting, they're welcoming, especially with the right lighting, the right ceiling, wooden floors. You feel enveloped, you feel taken care of. I remember the first time I came in here, but I don't remember what I bought. Coming in here was, you know, like coming home. I was a newly minted novelist. My book was there on the shelf. I ignored it, you know, just sort of stayed away from it and, you know, went to the others. But it was such a thrilling feeling to be on the shelf as well as in person in this beautiful and important place. There's the concept of the third place, which is home, work, and then the third place traditionally was church. But people are now looking for a different kind of third place. And bookstores are filling that role in communities, I think. So we certainly try to be the third place in people's lives. Yeah, we definitely are. How about you? True. I think that with a small bookshop, there's something a little less intimidating about it. You walk in, instead of walking into a bigger bookshop where you just kind of get lost, you come in here and it's the opposite. You immediately feel a little more welcome. You're not overwhelmed by the sheer amount of books. And I think that because it's a smaller space and there's a small staff and you get less lost, if you do it over and over before you know it, not only are you more familiar with the space, but you're also more familiar with the people inside the shop, the booksellers, and so you get to know them. There's a sense that I have being in here that it's sort of the opposite of the huge, great maw of the internet, where you can get anything you want, any book that you thought of that you read as a child, you can sort of order, any kind of thing is available. Here, it's curated. It's not everything and anything, but it's some things. And the things that are here have been chosen by people like you, and there's a reason that they've been chosen. So there's this bespoke quality, I think, to the books here and to being here. That's what I love about it. It just feels like a great relief to be in this place. And you both get to see the things that you've been looking for, the books people are talking about, the books that are being reviewed, but also the books that you would have never stumbled on if you hadn't walked through our doors. So I'm looking around and the listener can't see this obviously, but in their minds very vividly, they could perhaps imagine it. I'm standing by a section about New York City and these bright, beautiful covers are staring out at me. And then next to it, there's a whole cookbook section and cookbooks that I've never heard of are here and a children's book section right beside it. And I have a grandchild and I'm like, wow, what are these books? What I'm overstimulated. How have you made these choices? The ones that you're featuring so beautifully? The books are chosen through a sort of alchemy. Uh, Some of it is based on instinct when we're reviewing publisher catalogs and see books that we think would be a good fit. It comes down to what books are we interested in and what books do we think our readers will be interested in. But we try to curate a selection of books that speak to us, speak to the people who are going to walk through our doors. What are you going to stumble on here? People say, I have not seen this in another bookstore that I've walked into. And to us, that is the highest compliment you can give us. Sometimes we read the same things, but often we're all reading something different. We rely on paying attention to what our colleagues are reading and what regulars are reading and what they're talking about in the shops. 
of course, we try to read as much as we can, but a lot of the art of book selling is through osmosis, through what you pick up from people who have read the book, through reviews, through looking at the book, you can speak intelligently to the books we're putting in people's hands. Do you have a particular way that you hand sell a book? The most sure way, I think, is you have just read a book, you have loved it, and someone has asked you what to read, and you're like, oh my God, you have got to read this. And you literally put the book in their hand. And people respond to that so strongly because it's like they don't need a description of the book. They don't need anything more than what they've heard and felt that kind of comes out of you. That doesn't always happen. And so when that kind of hand sell isn't what you've got, then yes, you do rely on all the many books that you've read, what your colleagues are reading. But also, it happened tonight, right before we closed. Someone came in and they said, you know, I'm just really looking for something that's sad and beautiful. And you have to go from there, sad and beautiful. Like, where do you go? So where did you go? For a while, I was like, well, let me just walk around the shop a bit. This always helps me. Walk around the shop and just be reminded of the books I've read, the books I know my colleagues have read that somehow come close to that kind of description. I walked towards the back of the shop in the seas, and there was the book A Month in the Country. There's something melancholy and sad because that summer does come to an end. But it's also a book that doesn't devastate you. You actually come out of that book feeling a bit of optimism as well, for lack of a better word. And that's the book he walked out with, A Month in the Country. I remember with one of my novels, Larry Kramer came in and my novel was out and they told him about it. He bought it like in front of me and had me sign it to him. So it was like happening in real time. Somebody's telling you about a book and somebody's buying it. And Larry Kramer in the 80s. Larry Kramer in the 80s. I know. I had a very 80s experience here. I really, (laughs) really did. And I don't know what that means to our listeners, but I think it does mean something. It was a very different time in New York City, of course. So let's walk around. And should we, I don't know, should we see if they want to hand sell me a book? If I came in and said, I want something blisteringly funny by a woman that I wouldn't know. Done. So this really? is this book called Today a Woman Went Mad in the supermarket. <laughs> Very good. Uh, that is by my mother. Oh. Which I adore. This is not a staged recommendation. And hand sell every day. Troy could probably verify. We heard that and that meant the world to my mother, means the world to my mother at 93 now. And it her is book, blisteringly funny and buy a woman instead in New York. And oh my God. All right. Well, you, can you do something a little farther afield? Okay. Something funny and like something Nora Ephron-y? Funny is kind of the one that stumps us the most. We're all sort of sad, dark readers here for the most part. Well, I don't part, know if I mean light. You said light. I didn't no, but say light. I, no, but light funny is what we usually get asked for. Is oh, all I I'm don't mean that, light funny. I mean, I mean kind of like blisteringly, meaningly, might be rage or depression behind it. You know, it can be an well, older writer. I kind of hope that it would be. Okay, someone I find blisteringly funny is Iris Murdoch. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, let's yeah, go let's see. Go right, to the, the fiction let's section. Let's go to the M part of the fiction section. Especially her first novel called Under the Net. I have not read that one, and I love Iris Murdoch, but I've not read Under the Net. It was the first thing I read by her. A comic novel about work and love, wealth and fame, sold. I, I thought it was laugh out loud funny at times. There are two scenes in there I will never forget. That's yeah, amazing. It, it's so, I don't think people always think of her as funny, but she got me. My other always go-to is Laurie Colwyn. Oh, yeah. Who I think of in the same sentence as Nora Ephron. And... Laurie Colwyn mm. was somebody I met actually in the 70s when I won the Mademoiselle Guest Editor Contest, mm. the, the Sylvia Plath contest and they took me to lunch 
at one of those clubs. Maybe it was the Lotus Club or that other one. And they took me to lunch with her and she gave me some writing tips. Her home cooking books also were something that I absolutely loved and made that chicken constantly, the chicken with the mustard on it. That was something I did. And I think I probably bought those books here. I just Mm -hmm. had a three-minute conversation with a young woman at the counter today about Lori Colwyn and her food writing really? for all these She's, reasons. I yes. love her fiction too, of course. I mean, that's yeah. the first thing one thinks about. But those food books are charming and I can picture how they look, the green covers, and they really fit in very well here, like from a decorative standpoint. This is very exciting visually. There are so many colors and books that I've never seen before. Finding Time Again, a new translation of Marcel Proust, uh, The Fortune Men, right beside it by a friend of mine, Nadifa Mohammed. Also, here's Ruth Ozeki. And I'm like, wow, these books look so different. The colors are so different. The typefaces and the shelves, these wooden shelves, there's something about the brightness, the vividness of these books on these old shelves. There's like a sense of care and these beautiful books that are spine out and they all have a little face on them and they're kind of like calling to you from the shelf in some way. So I feel the siren call of a lot of books here. Stuart Onan, a writer I love, this book Ocean State, and I have not read that book. What I'm noting here is that I haven't read a lot of things. (laughs) It's like... Bruno Schultz's stories, Nocturnal Apparitions, in this beautiful looking edition by Pushkin Press, which has a matte cover and it makes you want to pick it up. It looks very not American. It looks like something you'd find when you travel to Europe and you go to a little bookstore. So I'm really seeing a lot of books that I don't know mixed in with ones that I do. Here's Daisy Jones and the Six, a big popular book, and Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, and Petri the Street, again in a beautiful looking edition. Do you get a choice about the editions that you pick? We often do if a book has entered the public domain and multiple publishers can publish it. And we choose editions based on partly how they look, certainly. Everyone wants a beautiful book. And also who wrote the introduction, other features about the book. So we are pretty choosy about which editions we carry. People really do visit this section a lot just because Sally Rooney is in it as well. All three of her novels Two right now we have faced out normal people and beautiful world. Where are you? Along with Zadie Smith. I love Zadie Smith's writing. And for a long, long time, she worked and lived in this neighborhood. So we would see her from time to time. And behind Meg are two books that are permanently faced out just because people love Madeline Miller's books, Song of Achilles and Circe. This section has so much in it. There's a shelf and a half of Murakami. There's Toni Morrison. There's Lawrence Osborne. And ask anyone that works at Three Lives, and most everyone has read at least one or two of Lawrence Osborne's books. They're just like Three Lives favorites around here. I love him too. And these are all authors and all books that just really continue to sell week after week. It's a very alive section. Actually, looking around, another thing that I'm noticing is how many things I want to reread. Like The Moviegoer, it is like dipping a Madeleine right now, sort of seeing some of these books. I haven't thought about or spoken about that novel, and it was so important to me and my friends when I was just out of college, Walker Percy. That's a book that I don't think people talk about very much anymore, but it was really kind of a big, important deal, and I would love to reread it. You know, here we are in my old stomping grounds from when I was just coming up as a writer, but it's also thinking about when I was just coming up as a reader. You know, people come back to this bookstore probably 
to find books that they once loved as well as new ones. So I think that's a big part of it because you have such beautiful editions of books that we might not have thought about for a really long time. That's why we keep those books on the shelf. So even if the moviegoer only sells once a month, it's for people like you to stumble on and remind themselves of it and find new readers too. When you're a writer and you go into a bookstore, yes, in the back of your mind is where are my books? And they're often down at people's feet, of course, because my last name begins with a W and I sort of so envy that Stephen King, right? in the middle. But sometimes you see somebody in a bookstore pick up your book and there's this horrible moment where you hold your breath and if they put it back on the shelf. But I do think about the line from Beast of Burden, ain't I rich enough? Ain't I rough enough? Like what? What? What do you want from me? But people have their own tastes and their own desires. But I do tend to stay away from my books in a bookstore, I have to say. But you're in such good company. You've got Virginia Virginia Woolf. Woolf. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I'm in a sandwich of Virginia Woolf and my mother, I think probably, right? Really? No, actually, that doesn't make sense. It goes Wolf, Hilma, and then me. That's right, alphabetically. And then you've got Hanya Yanagihara, which yes, is bringing a whole other traffic to that area. brings in a lot of people. And it's interesting how, like when the movie of The Wife came out, how a book can be given new life and rediscovered. I prefer the original book, right. what the original cover is, how it should sort of look on the shelf, what the author and publisher intended. But we faced out a pocket of that when the movie came out because... Whether it's Sally Rooney in TV shows or it's The Wife, you know, it really does drive sales, which is cheering. A book can resurface. That's right. No, it is lovely when that happens. And don't people almost always want to read the novel first, right? I love the readers who don't even realize it's based on a book and then see something and come in and say, oh my gosh, Normal People's a book or The Wife is a book? And you have to say, no, you're going back to the source material now. I'm thinking that our listeners who are all over the country probably have their own version of Three Lives. I hope they do, or at least perhaps did at some point. Uh, So many stores have closed, but you've thrived. And it's so wonderful to see that. I recently saw a headline just a week or two ago that bookstores are actually one of the most resilient businesses right now in this economic climate, which I thought was a very interesting statistic. I think there will always be a place for an independent bookstore in a community. Maybe I'm an optimist and don't have a toehold in the actual economics of it, but we have certainly thrived throughout the course of 45 years and continue to thrive. And especially if you situate yourself in a neighborhood that needs you and loves you and that you have a sort of reciprocal relationship with, people will keep coming. People will support you. They want interesting local businesses in their neighborhoods. And so I don't think independent bookstores are going anywhere. I think it is a hard business to be in, for sure. But I think that what's really encouraging to see is when this bookshop is at its busiest and you look out into the room, you do not see one kind of person. And I know we're in the village and you've got this great mix of the city and you've got tourists and you've got people coming specifically to the village, but people, young and old, want a book in their hand. And to buy those physical books from a bookstore that is like three lives. It's the object and the place. Exactly. They want the book, but they also are very specific that they want to buy it here or at a bookshop they love or care about. Yes, I feel that way too. When you when you buy a book here and you put it in that paper bag and you leave with this crisp paper bag and it doesn't have a pastry inside, it has something even better. I hope maybe this will make people think about and visit their favorite bookstores, their special places like this. In this article from 1981, they wanted it to feel like a living room. Really? I was like, oh my That's God, so it's like yeah. just all these years later still- and somehow we've held on to that look and that feeling. 
You know what occurs to me thinking about it now? The experience of being in the store, the intimacy of being in the store is sort of the intimacy that you feel reading a book. It is the privacy. It is the beauty of being immersed in a world that is not your own. And that's what I feel being in the store. It is like reading.